Welcome, everyone. And a good morning to you. I cherish my brothers and sisters in the Lord, Jesus Christ, who has bonded us together, a family here at the Vineyard Church. My name is Michelle Graham. I am deaf, obviously, I'm sure you know that, and I want to greet everyone streaming online also. My husband is Matthew Graham, and he's here with me. I want to say a little bit of something. I have not been on a stage probably for over 10 years. I had some health issues for a while, and then uh, Stacy is uh, our deaf sister who's traveling for the summer, and she was originally going to be here to do the announcements, and then she said she needed me to do it. And at first I was a little bit afraid, and I said, is there any other deaf person who would be willing to do this and not me? And I realized, God told me, he gave me a verse in the book of John, about being settled and knowing that he is God. And I even have this on my wall at home from John chapter 4. And I love that verse. Anyway, I know we feel more connected as we gather here today in the room, but we may have some visitors for the first time, and we want to say welcome to you too. And also, there is a card in the back of the seat in front of you, and you will see that card. If you could please fill it out, and when you're ready to leave, you can uh, leave it on your chair um, or give it to someone. Uh, And also, if you're not receiving the weekly emails from the Vineyard Church, uh, I want to tell you it's really important. I enjoy that every week. Getting information through email gives me those things to look forward to. I'm not on social media, so uh, that email becomes even more valuable to me. So if you don't mind, put your email address there, too, so we can keep in contact. There are many wonderful ways to feel connected in the body of Christ. God uses uh, technology uh, to even connect us together. Uh, You can check announcements on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, many ways through technology to stay connected. The Vineyard Church, we have a mission statement. We believe as we encounter the presence and love the power of God, we encounter that, and when we receive that, then we can give it away to the world. What an opportunity. So, uh, also, there are many opportunities to serve in the body of Christ here. You can pray and uh, seek the Lord for what he would have you to do. And uh, we provide those announcements. You can find those in the community notes and the announcements. Um, 
online. Uh, you can serve when we gather on Sunday mornings, and you can get announcements there, but we do need more people to serve even on Sunday mornings here at the church. Uh, prayer teams. Uh, and uh, there are multiple things that you can pray about serving here at the Vineyard. And if you'd like more information, you can look for those at indievineyard.org slash serve. And there you can find that, uh, that list. Hebrews 10, 2. Think of ways to encourage one another to shine the, the light of God through our actions. I want to say again, um, there's postings on the website and social media, uh, to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, many ways you can stay connected and post there with announcements and encouragement. Uh, encourage uh, meant for each other to keep us connected as a family of God. I love, I love uh, being a part of the family of God. Every week, uh, we have the community notes and uh, information, and then we provide an opportunity to give tithes and offerings. The tithes and offerings of the church, of course, are here to provide ministry here at the church locally and also globally supporting missions. We have electronic means where you can donate. Uh, for those who aren't here, you can see that uh, on the screen. Uh, I'm kind of old-fashioned. I like to put mine in the basket or in the box in the back there at the front of the church, so you can also do that. All right. Yes, I believe we have those up on the screen now. We'll give people an opportunity. would like to say a prayer also our dear Heavenly Father we just praise and glorify you Lord we thank you for your Son and the Holy Spirit the great love that you bestowed upon us that's unconditional and steadfast we just give you praise and honor we thank you that you're using this ministry here to bring us together in a small group. Even minorities as myself, a deaf person, can feel the love of God in this place because of you, God. And I thank you, Father, for that love. I want to thank you, Father, for always being there for each and every one of us, no matter what we've gone through. And during the pandemic and things that are uh, unknown in the future, we can trust you. 
We pray now, Father, that you will touch each and every heart as we give our tithes and our offerings. Because of what you have given us, this beautiful earthly home, nature, food, ways to grow home, our grow food, and our homes that you've given us, every single thing that we have came from you, and we give you back a tenth of that. And we know, Father, that you have made it possible now for us to become even more connected and closer to you through the work of this ministry here that you have set for us. There is a word that I love. From Philippians 7, no, Philippians, let me find it, 1, 7, and 8. Love brings great joy and encouragement. You know how much we love you, Lord. So thank you, Father, for everything, and thank you for this family. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Good morning, man. Michelle, thank you so much for Leading us in communion. That was awesome. That was beautiful. I always find myself super entranced by Terry every time that she interprets. She does it so beautifully and serves our body so well. Yeah, give it up for Terry. Thank you. So my name is Ian Ray. I'm the youth pastor here at Indy Vineyard Church. And today is a special day in like next gen or, or in youth ministry and basically what today is is something called Promotion Sunday. And what that means is that every single grade in, you know, if you're in first grade, you're becoming second grade today. If you're in third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade. I think you, I think you get the point, kind of how, how it works. Um, but also our seniors have actually just recently graduated. And as you know, that the 2020 grads have, have gone through a ton. And so I thought it was so important that we just send them out as a lot of them have graduated this past week. They're still going to be here for the summer. They're not, they're not bouncing yet, but I think it was so important that we honor them. So if you're a, a grad and you just recently graduated, if you want to come up and you can stand just right here in front of me, I just want to pray for you guys. So before we pray, I want you to introduce yourself. You can say uh, where you're going to school, um, maybe what you're setting, if you know. Um, if you don't know, it's okay. You've got plenty of time to figure it out. All right. My name is Jenna Crapwall. Um, I'm obviously going to IU. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, I'm going to Purdue, and I'm going to be studying organizational leadership and minoring in management. I'm Sierra Wingfield, and I'm going to be attending Loyola University Chicago and studying physics, but that's probably going to change. I'm Teddy Hausman. Um, I'm going to be going to Indiana Wesleyan University, and I'll be studying biology pre-med. So what you learn from that is they are all much smarter than me. So, um, but I just want to, I want to pray for you guys. So I'm just going to pray. I would encourage you guys if wherever you're at, just to extend a hand and bless them. Um, 
And so, Lord, we just thank you so much for this class. Uh, we thank you for Jenna. We thank you for Sierra. We thank you for Teddy. We thank you for the way that they've served here at the church in this youth ministry. We thank you that, that you have appointed them to be leaders, that you have given them a voice that is, that is powerful. We thank you that there's no junior Holy Spirit and that you don't look down upon them because they're young, but rather they get to walk out in anointing just the same as anyone of any age. And so, Lord, I pray as they go off to school, I pray as they, they are now graduated from high school and onto this next season of their life, Lord, would you bless them? Would you bring abundance to them? Would you let them find their voice in a new way? Would you present new opportunities for growth as they go off to school? Would you provide for them uh, places to connect? We pray for Christian community to form around them, that they walk into a room and people see that they are different, that they love you more, that they just want to be in relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you use them to change their campus. That any roommates that they have, anyone on their hall, anyone that comes in contact with them sees that there's something different about them because of the way they're walking out their faith. And Lord, I pray for boldness. I pray for courage. And I thank you that you actually honor and bless that courage as they go out. So Lord, I thank you for all of that they have done here. And I thank you that they're going to do even greater things. For you say in John 14 that you're actually going to, we are going to do greater things than you by the Spirit. And so I just prophesy, proclaim that over these graduates, that they're going to do greater things than you, that they will be walking out their, their calling in you, that people will look to them for peace, that they walk into their schools and bring it. So, Lord, I thank you for who they are. I thank you for the man that you've made Teddy as a leader. I thank you for the powerhouse voice that you've given Sierra to speak. Lord, I thank you for Jenna and the way she loves so gently that she just looks to those in need and says, I love you and I care for you and I just want to listen. And so, Lord, would you just continue to bless them as they go out in your mighty and your powerful name. Amen. Amen. You guys are amazing. Give it up for the seniors. Thank you, guys. We bless you. We honor you. You guys are incredible. Man, thank you. Awesome. You guys can, can have a seat and I'll invite Randy up for, for the message. I don't need that one. Wow, that's a lot of fun. Um, how many of you were thinking, okay, what am I graduating from? Where am I going next? I remember um, really at their age, uh, I was going off to Miami University, Oxford, Ohio, just a few, you know, 40 or so years ago, whatever that was. And, um, and it was a turning point in my life because it was the time that I decided it really, am I going to follow Jesus or not? And am I going to go to this campus where there's all this opportunity, good, bad, and ugly? Am I going to follow Jesus or am I going to follow the ways of the world? And um, finally, you know, getting away from home, there's lots of options out there. And uh, so I, I love to pray for um, seniors and graduating people um, as they walk into the next season of life. When when I was a freshman in college, I did make a significant decision for Jesus. I had come to Christ in high school, but I made a decision. I'm going to do this thing the whole, the whole way. You know, I'm, I'm all in for Jesus and started reading missionary biographies and um, hearing about uh, the unreached peoples of the world. And God started to put a fire in my heart for missions, a real desire to proclaim the gospel of Jesus no matter what and wherever God might lead me. 
from that time, I, I got really enamored with um, those who would give their lives ultimately for the sake of the gospel. I, I basically had sort of a teenage man crush on every martyr. I know that's kind of weird, um, but some of you get that. You know, there's just this something about a person who would be so committed to Jesus that they would give their lives. And if if I'm honest about it, as I look back on it now, um, though Jane and I became missionaries two different times, I look back at that desire as more of a missionary spirit, and I don't mean that in a good way. Because uh, though I did have passion for Jesus, the deepest passion in my life was really to be known as someone who was that devoted to Jesus. Do you know the difference? you ever experienced that? You're all gung-ho, but deep down at the bottom of that is like, wouldn't it be cool if I get killed gloriously and then they write a book about me? <laughs> Sounds kind of morbid, right? No, it, prideful is what it is. Because the heart, you know, God's still doing good things in my life at that point. And he used my desire and people came to Christ around the world. Awesome. But deep down at the heart of that, it's really in me. It wasn't about Jesus. It was really about me. It wasn't for the fame and the glory of the gospel. It was for the fame and the glory of me. And you all know or eventually will know in your lives that reality is so much more important than appearance. Right? I mean, we, but we all can relate to that wanting to be known as or wanting to be seen as. When God looks at us, he looks at the heart. He looks at the deepest motivation. And when Jesus speaks to us, he speaks to the heart. He doesn't speak to the outward. He, Jesus didn't seem to care a lot about what people thought about him, outward appearance, success, etc. In fact, he, he was extremely countercultural. One of the quotes from way back, I, mean, I was 18 years old when I heard this quote, at a missions conference was from a guy named Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was a uh, missionary to the Aka Indians in uh, mid early mid-50s and did eventually give his life for the gospel. And here's the, the quote. It, it's funny because I, I just thought about the quote and I got chills. So there's still something in there, right? And the quote is this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. I mean, I can remember hearing that at a conference. I remember taking it in. I've got the same chills right now because it still grips me. There's something about the passion of a person who says, Jesus first, only, no matter what, even unto my death. <clears throat> that quote epitomizes the heart of a question of Jesus that I want to look at this morning in Mark chapter 8. So if you have a Bible or a device, turn to Mark chapter 8. I'm reading from the NIV, starting in verse uh, 35. Yeah. This is what Jesus says. Then Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit 
their soul. Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your words. More even than the words, thank you for your life of obedience to death, even death on a cross. Thank you, Jesus, that for the joy set before you, you endured endured the cross, even despising the shame. But now, risen, have sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And Jesus, thank you that you did it for us. And my, my plea this morning, what I ask is that by the Holy Spirit, we would hear your questions this morning, Jesus. We would hear your command, and we would follow you. Amen. In a little bit different tack than I normally go, I'm actually going to go through this passage backwards. Um, I don't mean in some strange way like this. I mean, we're going to start at the end of the passage and work back to the beginning because it allows us to begin with the questions that Jesus poses, but I think will make sense to to you at the end because we we get to the end of this passage as I do it backwards, and we get a three-point sermon from Jesus, much better than any three-point sermon I could ever give. So, starting in verse 36, obviously this is a rhetorical question. Jesus asks his disciples and the crowd. This means this is not just the inner circle. Jesus is asking this rhetorical question to everyone there who's surrounding him. And he says this, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Obviously, the expected answer is, well, if you had everything in the world, but after having everything in the world, however that is physically, you know, pleasure, uh, Whatever, however you imagine that to be, to have everything in the world. If you actually, at the end of your short life on earth, lose your soul, in the midst of life, lose your vitality, have no real life, or at the end of life, have no life with God, which means eternal death. If that's what you're saying, Jesus, uh, bad deal. And the, retor- the question is, what does it profit? And the, re- the answer Though you wouldn't say it out loud as well, obviously it would not profit. I would gain nothing. I would lose everything if all I had in life was this world. And by virtue of asking the question, Jesus is indicating that this is possible, right? That we could actually gain the whole world and forfeit our soul, to give our soul away. Jesus is speaking to the value of the soul. I don't want to go into a, a big uh, a discussion of what soul means. It's, it's, it's you. It's your life force. It's your, your breathing entity, but also what gives life deep down. It's the part of you that can connect both to God and to the world. It's sort of the, the nexus of your life. And Jesus is saying that this vital part of you, where you encounter both the world and me, he's saying, pay attention because this is valuable, so valuable, and don't settle for cheap imitations in life. I think that's what Jesus is getting to. You can have it all and lose it all, and it's not worth it. 
I was at a, this is just how it works in my life, and I love it. I was planning to speak on this passage. I was at a graduation just two days ago, Friday night, in Union County, Indiana, just on the border of Ohio. And my, my nephew, Luke, 18 year, just turned 18 years old, is the valedictorian of his school. He was praying earnestly that there would be no graduation because he did not want to give a speech. I mean, this was well known in the family, like literally, God, no. And um, for a while, they thought there would be no graduation, and then it popped up. And he said in his speech, I voted that we wouldn't do this. But he stands up. Um, Luke is a very quiet young man unassuming, incredibly diligent, obviously got a lot of heart because he's the valedictorian of his school. And the way people spoke of him was really something. I'm not sure I've heard him put five sentences together in the 18 years I've known him. He's just loving, friendly, joyful. And he gets up to give his speech. And he starts, about half of his speech was just thanking people and honoring people. He got up and he said, I read that a... a, a, um, a speech, a graduation speech should be um, celebra- uh, celebrative and inspiring. So I'm going to celebrate and I'm going to inspire. So he, he celebrates, thanks his parents, his siblings by name, his grandparents, his teachers, his classmates. It was beautiful, honoring. And then this meek kid says, now I'm going to inspire you. And I thought, man, this is bold. And I'm also a little nervous. Like, what's he going to say, you know? And he he takes the next four or five minutes and he speaks to this crowd of 100 graduating students and he says, do not settle for what the world wants to give you. That's his speech. I've never heard the word meaningless used so many times in a high school graduation speech. He said the world and all that it has to give is meaningless. And he urged his fellow students not to settle for what the world had to give. He basically said, don't sell out. Don't believe what they, I mean, he's preaching. I'm not kidding. He's like, the world doesn't love you. Exact quote from him. I'm like, man, he's giving it. He got an amen from the crowd in the middle of the speech. Big, loud amen. The end of the message, so he, he doesn't go into the gospel. It's clearly a pre-evangelistic message. I don't know if he even knows the concept, but it was awesome. And at the end of it, and he looks at his fellow students and he says, what will give your life meaning? And then, like, he read the book or something for dramatic effect. He says again, what will give your life meaning? Thank you. And he sits down. I'm like, where did he come from? (laughs) It was amazing. And he's preaching the gospel to his fellow students, telling them whatever you might hear out there, the world, whatever it is. And, you know, these are kids. They're like, we're going to go for it. We want it all. The next couple of speeches were your standard speeches. You can do it. You can have it all. You know, I'm like whatever. I think he preached the gospel right there. It was it was beautiful to hear him do that. Basically, he was asking the same question. Jesus is asking in this passage, what would you really gain if you got the whole world, but you forfeited your soul, the most meaningful part of you? What if you had all life gave to offer, had to offer, but you missed life? I was, I was so inspired. 18 years old. You know, some 
through decades of life, never get that message. They never answer that rhetorical question with their lives. Let's move uh, on. Verse 37, Jesus has a follow-up question, also rhetorical. He says, or what can anyone give in exchange for the soul? The obvious unspoken but all-known answer is, well, nothing. Even if I had the whole world and I wanted to sort of buy back my soul or my life, I wouldn't be able to do it. Jesus is indicating, you got one shot at this. You, you better understand these questions and the heart behind them because you don't get to make a second choice afterwards. He said, he's essentially asking, what if you had the whole world and you wanted to buy back your soul? How could you do that? How much does your soul cost? And the implied answer is you can't do it. It doesn't work that way. Your soul is not bought and sold. You know, it's just, if you think about it, just speaks to the travesty of any type of slavery or trafficking or abuse of any kind. When we treat with disregard the life God given from God to a person, to a human, which has such inestimable eternal value. And Jesus is saying it doesn't work that way. You don't get your soul by buying it as if you have something to give to get your true life. What he's saying is your life can't be bought and sold. It can only be surrendered and received. This is the upside down, wacky, you know, strange economy and system of the kingdom. Your soul isn't to be bartered with, no matter what the the books and the movies talk about. It doesn't work that way. Why? Because your eternal life, your life force, what makes you human, the breath in you given by God for your life along the earth, as well as your eternal life, that is of such importance and so valuable. Your soul can only be surrendered and received. You give what you've been given by God, your life, back to God so that God could give to you what you could never get on your own. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. We can't control this thing to gain eternal life, that which we can never lose. You know, Jesus is now going to go into this whole, if you really want to save your life, you have to lose it. And you go, what is he talking about? And what he's talking about is an economy of life and truth that doesn't make sense in the world out there. This is not ladder climbing theology from Jesus, except for how low can you go? How much more can you give? How freely, joyfully and confidently can you be poured out? And this is Mark chapter 8. So the disciples, are, they have no idea what's coming. Jesus is foreshadowing the cross. I mean, he's just about to say, you want to follow me? Take up your cross. This is the first time we hear the, gro- the cross in the Gospels. They don't know what's coming. But they're getting a picture of what it looks like so that when the cross happens, they've got to think back to this and go, man, he said it. I just didn't think he was serious. This is real life. 
Jesus says a lot in these two hypothetical questions. So we can't miss it because he's asking us these questions today. What would you gain? What good would it be for you if you gained the whole world but you forfeited your soul? And what really could you give in exchange for your soul? How could you get it back when in reality the only way to receive your soul is to surrender it so that it can be given once eternally and powerfully by God himself? Let's get back to what Jesus has said. Again, we're going backwards now, so we're all the way back to verse 35. And Jesus is beginning to explain, how does this life-losing, life-saving thing work? It's seriously countercultural. Verse 35, Jesus says, Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Jesus is speaking to the deepest motivation. I mean, God created you to long for life, true life. Yes, to fight for life like breath, like we don't want to die. Death is the enemy, right? But also for the abundant life that Jesus promised, John 10.10. 10. We're, we're designed to go after life. You know, it, it's that desire for life that brings two people together and creates you know, by God's grace, another human. It's passion. We're made for it. We long for it. And Jesus is saying, you really want life, lose it. If you try to save it, you've lost it. The first hearers and the readers of of this would have likely taken this as real life and death questions. Just prior to this, Jesus has asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ in another, trans, another version of it, the, the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. Them's real fighting words in these days. Peter is saying, you're the one, the one ruler who is over every other ruler. And for, when they hear this from Jesus, you want to save your life? You got to lose it for my sake and the gospel? I think they're getting crystal clear you know, this is going to be different than we thought. I'm not seeing a lot of glory in this following this rabbi. I mean, I don't think we're in analogies anymore. I think they're finally realizing these are not analogies. And every disciple but one will give their life. I mean, physically give their life for Jesus and for his good news, his gospel. Whoever decides that communicating the gospel news of Jesus in word and deed, living it out in our lives, is more important than their life, whatever that means, than the success of their business, than their their closest relationships, than their own sense of pride and even comfort. Whoever decides, no matter what, that Jesus, that Christ, and that message of good news is more important than my life, they get life. And so here, Jesus gives his equation for saving your own life. Give up. That's Jesus' big equation for saving your life. You know, he didn't need ten steps or seven principles, you know, or even a three-point sermon. Jesus is saying, you want to save your life? You want to know that you know? Surrender it. 
there is a, an eschatological, in other words, sort of a next world, how it all ends up, point to this, and we'll get to that in a few minutes. But first, we have gotten to Jesus' three-point sermon. Verse 34. How to follow Jesus in three points, author Jesus. He's speaking to the disciples and the crowd, and he's explaining, he's explaining the way of life of a follower of Jesus. Because here are all these people around him. They're seeing miracles. They're being fed. They're like, this is cool. There's real power here. I want to hook my wagon to this train. This is cool. And so there are all these people, and he, and he looks at them, and I, I just I wish I had a picture, an image. wish we had video of this. As Jesus says, do you want to follow me? Do you know what you're asking? Well, I'll let you know. How do you lose your life to save your life? Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Right off the bat, you've got to think Peter's like, wait a minute. <laughs> Where's the speechwriter for this guy? Like, this does not go over well. Deny yourself. And I don't think that he's talking about denying yourself chocolate during Lent or, um, or I mean, as good as that might be, or uh, sacrificing whatever you might want. I'm only going to buy fair trade. I mean, all those are good things in the world. But I don't think when he says deny yourself, he's talking about just denying yourself something. I think what he's saying is, Stop making yourself the object of your life and actions. Jesus is saying we are in complete reorientation mode. You want to follow me? Your life has been surrounding this desire for more, best, good, happy, joy. He's not saying those are bad things. He's just saying those cannot be what your life is centered upon. Because that's the world, and we know what we get. We get death. We lose life. Jesus is saying when he says deny yourself is stop putting yourself at the center of your life. I like the idea of orientation. Because it's not so much Jesus is the most important part in my life. Jesus is my life. Colossians 3, when Christ, who is your life, is revealed you also will be revealed with him in glory. Galatians 2, you know, Paul says, but uh, I've been crucified with Christ and I don't even live anymore, but Christ lives in me. And then the life that I do live in the flesh, I live for the Son of God, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and what? Gave himself for me. That's the one I follow. And now he's in the center. So it's not just, you know, I'm, I'm not just encouraging you. I don't think Jesus is just saying, hey, I'd like to be number one on your list. He's saying, I'm the center and everything revolves around me. And to the extent that it's related to me, it's valuable and beautiful. And to the extent that it's not, it's, to quote my nephew Luke, meaningless. Jesus says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and to take up their cross. I don't think Jesus here is referring to uh, little irritations in life. I think he's talking about a way of life that is daily cross-bearing. I was in a 
Zoom conference a couple months ago, and I, I heard the guy say, you know, when we signed up, when we said yes to Jesus and got eternal life and all the glory and joy, we signed up for daily cross-bearing. That probably doesn't figure largely in our evangelism these days, but it did in the, in the evangelism of Jesus. Not to say you sign up for pain and sorrow as if that's the goal. No, 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 no. You sign up for true life. The way to that is recognizing that there's a burden to be born in the world when we follow the one who bore our burden on the cross. We can't just say happy, clappy, all joy. We miss more than half of the scriptures, and we miss Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul's writing, it's a little bit of a different context, but he, he says this. I've got to imagine that somewhere along the way he read or he heard from one of the disciples Jesus saying this all. And here's Paul writing, 2 Corinthians 4.10, We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. I don't think he's talking about physical death and resurrection every day. He's talking about the way of the cross, saying no to self as the primary motivation of your life, moment after moment, day after day, week after week, year after year. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. Paul says, I'm doing the Jesus thing, and you can too. Give your life away to get the life of Jesus. The the way to glory is through humility. We follow Jesus and his lifestyle. And then Jesus says, if you would really want to come after me, follow me. Rabbinically, you know, in the the time, uh, in the first century, he's saying, like, I'm a teacher. Walk in my dust. Follow me. Do what I do. Say what I say. Think how I think. Act how I act, love how I love, give how I give, rejoice how I rejoice, grieve how I grieve. Be like me. I was thinking about the message and, um, you know, this is a little aside. It just hit me this morning driving in. The first time I ever gave a sermon, I was 21 years old. I was uh, sort of like the the bottom of the level in a big church. I was the the intern for the junior high youth assistant. (laughs) But somebody looked at me and said, that guy can talk. So I did a little homiletics class. And this is actually the passage, the first passage I ever preached from. I would never want to hear that message again. It hit me this morning. But I was thinking, you know, there's, a, there's passion in this, you know. It can be ethereal, but what does it look like to deny yourself in, in a house in Indianapolis in 2020? What does it look like to, to take up your cross? What, what does it look like to lose self and let Jesus be the orienting, you know, center and fullness of your, of your life? And I'll just tell you what came to my head a couple of weeks ago. A friend asked me to go out to breakfast, so we were together, and 
and they were having this man was having some issues in his relationship with his wife and he basically asked it's rare that i get a question like this he said how can you tell me how to be a husband and i i thought well i think it's a good question um i'm not sure i know the answer i have been practicing for 34 years <laughs> but i don't think i have it perfected yet but here's what came to my mind i said I don't, I don't know the rules. I can't write the book on this, but I'll tell you what, what changed my relationship with my wife, Jane. And I think I've seen change relationships, marriage, friends, parents, coworkers, etc. I said, when you get to that point in a conflict with somebody else, and that, I don't know how else to say it. I don't mean to sound new agey. That life force, that pride rises up in you and you think, I am not going to back down this time. Does anyone know that feeling? All right. It's something in you and you're just like, no, that is it. I have a right. And just whatever goes through your mind at that point, I have a right. I I see a testimony back there. (laughs) No, that is not right. I didn't say that. I didn't mean that. And, you know, you go through the whole the whole thing. When you get to that point where Everything inside you says, if I let down at this point, I'll die. I don't, I don't know another way to say it, but I bet you've experienced it. It's just so powerful. And you wonder, where does that power come from? Probably not Jesus. Because that is a life-saving power. And I don't mean that in the good way. That is a life-saving, going to get it all, going to make sure nobody gets it over on me, Right? And what do you do at that point? If you're a regular human, you got two options. You go into accusation and defense, and especially if you're a man, and you say, that's not what you said. You said this word, and then you said, you know, like, we all do it. If you, didn't, if you haven't done it with a human, you've done it in your mind and played all the roles, right? And you go into that accusation and defense, and I'm going to get this right, and I'm going to win this fight, and whatever, right? Or you can go the other route, and I've, and I've gone both of them in, in my life many, many times, which is, fine, I'm useless. I'm no good. Self-pity, right? The other side of accusation and denial is like, forget it. You're right. I'm wrong. I'm always wrong. I'm bad. I'm always bad. I'm scum, you know, and you're doing this. And guess what? That's not true either. That's not true either. And so I I think I had him because I saw the look on his face like, how are you going to get out of this one? You know, as I'm telling the stories, but he's feeling it. And I said, no, somehow you've got to stand right in there. Take up your cross. You got to say, I will not fight for my life here. I will not fight for my rights here. No, I'm going to follow the way of Jesus. I'm going to go the way of humility. I'm not going to accuse or deny or defend. I'm not going to fall into self-pity and say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm nothing. No, I'm going to stand up in who I am and just let reality be and say something like, I must have done something in the process here to cause you some pain. I don't know what it was and I don't know how it happened. But I love you so much, I want to understand. And whatever it takes, we'll do it. To, to stand there, I mean, I know the feelings physically. It, it literally can feel like I'm going to die. 
I want, I want a way out. And Jesus says, here's your way out through. If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself. Think of the other. Take up his cross, whatever that type of pain might be for you at that point, and bear it. Because guess what? It seems like it'll kill you, but it's life-saving. You can bear it. He bore it. You can bear it. And and. I mean, I can honestly say, I'm not trying to toot my own horn. I usually try to toot Jane's horn, but I'll just toot our mutual horn. After 34 years, this path, this path of, of, of denial of self and taking up your cross and following Jesus, this is the path to life. This is the path to joy. This is life changing. And I think if you can apply that wherever you might be, Maybe some of this is your own interactions with God, I don't know, or self or parents. But I, I think this is a real practical application of you want, to co- you want to follow Jesus, deny yourself. Don't make your rights, etc., the most important. What does Jesus want? How do I love the other? How, would I, how do I serve? What does humility look like? How can I go lower? Not to make myself a mat, but to recognize who I am. My true value in God's eyes and let God do the heavy lifting. And sometimes we just have to stand there. It was one of my readings last week. I was on a retreat day and one of, one of my readings um, is from Isaiah 7, I think it is. And it's just lots of stuff going on. But right there in the middle, it says, if you don't stand in faith, you won't stand at all. It's right in there. I think Isaiah 7, like, wow. This is a call for the church to stand in faith. Let me just make one other point before I I close, and that is that I don't want you to hear this message and say, Randy said we should seek suffering. If you heard that, you didn't hear what I said. I I didn't say that. There's plenty of suffering. Jesus is not saying seek suffering. What Jesus is saying is recognize that suffering, humility, as he puts it, rejection, suffering, and death are a part of life if you're going to follow Jesus. But also that joy and pleasure and all those things, they're also a part of it, but we hold them both loosely. We can't avoid suffering and think we're going to gain our life, but we can't grasp on and hold on to pleasure and all the things of the world and joy and say that's all there is. We've got to hold them both, both loosely because if we're following Jesus, he's Lord of our way. And every situation that comes to us and every opportunity we have, we get to make those choices. Remember, Hebrews, Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. He wasn't like, oh, man, I, I earned this and here I'm going down. He's like, no, this hurts for now. But what eternity means, this is nothing. And so there's even a joyful way all through the New Testament, we see it, to go through suffering. A joyful way to have those times of intense fellowship with your spouse or anyone else in your life. We have to hold pleasure loosely and recognize that suffering, that's daily dying and cross-bearing, are what we said yes to when we said yes to Jesus. And I just, I'll end with this. If we've said yes to Jesus, 
You know, there are two other questions right before this passage, and I, I, couldn't, I couldn't avoid them. They were staring at me from the page of my Bible. Jesus asked Peter in Mark eight twenty seven, who do people say that I am? It's the first time you ever get a sense Jesus gives a rip what other people are saying about him. You know, and Peter says, well, Elijah or John the Baptist, like another one like them or one of the prophets. And then you realize Jesus doesn't really care what other people say because he's just honing in to look into Peter's eyes and into Peter's soul and say, well, what about you? He literally says that. What about you? Who do you say that I am? And the spirit within Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And, And Jesus like says, you got it. You, you got the whole thing. And then he goes into all this stuff about losing your life. So Peter's like, ah, right? Here's my point. Those are questions we have to answer. So if you're sitting in this room and you've your first time here, or you've come for years or you're watching on, you know, some device. You, before we can get to the how to follow Jesus part, we've got to get to the part where we said yes to Jesus. When Jesus looks into our eyes and peers into our soul and says, but, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And the answer to that question is life and death. God created us to have a relationship with him. He created us. He built us to have living relationship with him. And because of sin, this, the things that we've chosen to do that have derailed us, that sin, that unholiness, That lack of perfection separates us from God. And Jesus is God's provision for that sin. So what Jesus did to show us what real life looked like was to live a perfect life and die a perfect death. To to literally take up his cross and and walk the way of condemnation. And he bore the, the, the payment for our sin. He was the Christ. He was the chosen one. He's the Messiah. He's the King of Kings. He's the Son of God. He's the one that was there at the beginning when we were formed in our mother's womb. He was there calling us to life, and we chose a way of death. And Jesus, I think, would say to us this morning, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And true life Life in this life, abundant life, John 10.10, life eternal with God in heaven forever. No pain, no tears, no no problems, no suffering. All comes from our answer to that question. When we can say, Jesus, you are the Christ. You're the chosen one. You bore my sin on the cross. You have made a way back to the Father by your death. And I will let my own desires and my own way of life go the way of death so that I can choose your life. I mean, it's all the same thing. We die to ourselves so we can live in Christ because he died to himself and defeated death by raising from the dead. We're going to close by taking communion. So if you have your communion elements and wherever you might be watching, get your communion elements. I'll ask Amy to come forward and play. And I just want you to take some time to consider those questions of Jesus. Just take a minute or two. Who do you say that Jesus is? Maybe today is the day of your salvation. 
Maybe today's the day you realize I'm tired of going my own way and I need the power of God, the saving power of Jesus in my life. What is God saying to you this morning? What do you need to ask God this morning? What are you going to do about what God has said to you this morning? These elements, the body of Christ, the blood of Christ, are for those who have declared that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and those who have surrendered their lives to gain their lives and trust him solely for their life and their salvation. So as Amy plays and you pray and talk to God when you're ready, take the bread and the cup. like to just close our time together today by uh, singing the, the refrain of that uh, Refiner's Fire song. And, um, so I'll ask Nancy to lead us and then I'll come and just close this with a